You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper. You can find me on Twitter at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And I'm Cliffy D. You can also find me on Twitter, but at Cliffy D. And this episode of the Alouette's Flight Deck is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff, where you can save 10% off your entire order by using the promo code FlightDeck-10. Head on over to www.sportbuffshop.com and make sure you get all your holiday sports shopping done this year. And you can find us on the internet, many, many places. First place you want to go to is over at alowitzflightdeck.ca, where you can check out our entire history, our entire archive of all the great guests that we've spoken to over the years, and especially this year in our seventh season. Uh, also on Twitter at alowitzflddeck. Instagram, do a search for us at, at Alouette's Flight Deck. Uh, Facebook, at Alouette's Flight Deck Pod. Our merchandise can be found over at uh, teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck. And finally, thanks to you, you can find us on YouTube now, youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck. And yes, this is the season finale for the Flight Deck for Season 7. You will be getting a show coming up, uh, a mini show very shortly on, um, actually, we're going to do it on YouTube. Hey, Kel Surprise, right, Cliff? Where we are going to be giving away that Delta jacket that we have oh so promised for oh so long, but just because, but because of thanks to you, the fans, we were able to go ahead and give that away. Absolutely. I'm very excited uh, to basically... End the year on a high as well. I mean, this is technically the final broadcast of the Alouette's Flight Deck for 2022, Mm -hmm. but we still have to give away that beautiful satin jacket. And we figure because it was YouTube, because it was everybody that was helping us try to grow ourselves on YouTube, you know, we appreciate each and every one of your support. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a better way to do it than with a nice little live stream where we'll be we'll be doing it all, including giving away that beautiful satin retro jacket yep that's right um it's hard to believe cliff again as you just mentioned that this is the season finale the broadcast for the broadcast season for 2022 for our seventh season 36 shows 16 guests we have our 16th coming up this show and we and as we have done with uh over the past couple of years, we are going to be speaking with Alouette's president Mario Ciccini. Get ready for that interview because he actually, other than what he had mentioned in his, the original press conference, the year in press conference by the Alouette's cliff, he actually did ha- have a few tidbits for us that we are glad to be able to bring to you, the fans. One hundred percent. As always, it's such a pleasure and a privilege, really, when you think about it, to be able to sit and talk with the president of the Montreal Alouettes, get his insight on what's been going on, uh, what's what took place in twenty twenty two. I mean, there's so much to talk about, and I'm I'm re- it was it was such a treat to be able to do so, and I'm really excited for you guys 
to and gals to be able to listen to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna. It's our sort of our, our our year in review show, uh, along with the interview with Mario. We want to at least talk about also what happened this past week. Uh, the Alouettes, you know, uh, second time since co- since COVID, the Alouettes had their um, had their locker room sale. Um, it actually seemed to be very well attended considering the time that we got there and what the lineup was at that time. Um, note to self and to all and anybody there out who wants to go in the go in the future to these things. If you want to get a jersey from one of the fan, uh, one of the the fan favorites, one of the stars of the team, make sure you get there early because as we saw this year, Cliff, those jerseys went quick. Oh yeah, I mean pretty much anything, whether it's jerseys. Uh home and away uh, helmets, even nameplates, if you can believe that, folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know who the superstars of this team are. And if you wanted to get any of their stuff, you pretty much had to be first in line. And I I, I don't know if it was like those crazy Black Friday sales. I mean, the Elwets <laughs> were only letting people in like eight at a time. Yeah, I know. That but, was weird I mean, myself. But I mean, if you if you were one of those first eight to, to, to get in, to, uh, you basically had pick of the litter. Mm-hmm. so to speak. I mm-hmm. mean, if you wanted that Trevor Harris or that Eugene Lewis jersey, it was yours right there. It was there for the taking. And uh, by the time you and I got down there, I mean... And yeah, we're, like, we're in the, what, about, like, the third or fourth group only. That's the thing. And it was... The, the lockers were basically bare. Yeah. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, folks. There was a lot of stuff. I mean, there was a mm-hmm. lot of game-worn stuff, a mm-hmm. lot of equipment, a lot of stuff that, you know, any Alouettes fan would be thrilled to get their hands on. But, I mean, if you were looking for specific players, I mean, it was... And it's first come, first serve. And there's, let's face it, there's only one road jersey. There's one home jersey. And once they're gone, they're gone. So if like I said, if you wanted, say, Gino's jersey, I mean, you pretty much had to be first in line. And that was it. I mean, even when we got there, like I, like I said, we were looking for Tyson Philpot, for example. And he was gone, too. Yeah. Like he was snapped up. I saw someone walking around with his jersey. I'm like, oh, okay, there, there, there that goes. Uh Nameplates too. I mean, this is the other thing. Like pretty much anything that had like someone's name and number on it. Like if you had a specific player in mind, you have to get there early. There, you know, like there, there, there's just no two ways about it. I mean, yeah. Well, by the time we got there, yeah, there was a lot of jerseys and that. There was still a, a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, stuff was on sale too. Like a lot of uh, uh, t-shirts and uh, other apparel was fifty to or tw- from twenty-five to fifty percent off even. Uh, but again, it's. You know, it, if you were looking for specific game-worn stuff from a certain player, you had to get there early. That's all there was to it. I mean, there's lots of great players still left available, but I mean, if you were looking for that one specific player, as I said, like one of the superstars, you you pretty much had to be first in line. You you know, mm-hmm. like it really was first come first serve. There's there's just no two ways about it. Yep. Yeah, and there, there were again. It's uh, well, I guess we made to think think differently next year, and um, I'm hoping that they see that 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 in itself, Cliff, makes me wonder what is what's going to be necessary to do in order to get a uh, one of the current styles of helmets um, because those weren't available this year. They had a lot of the uh, of the other uh, bird's eye view helmets, I'll call them. Um, the, the yeah, sh- with the logo, with the logo sort of splayed on top. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. But you know, they were just the shells. Um, they weren't. Uh, they didn't have face masks. Um, but we found out why, and it was a good reason why. It's because they used the red face masks on a lot of the twenty twenty two helmets. So it, it made a ton of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm still hoping to get my hands on one of those. Um, did speak with Corey, by the way, who is the the, the general manager of the uh, of the boutique. Um, stay tuned, uh, for an announcement, uh, for their, 
winter sale or, or whatever. I can't remember if you gave me a specific name, but it was stay tuned for, for a sale on the boutique, which will include a lot of stuff that was not at the locker room sale. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, if And again, if for whatever reason you couldn't attend the locker room sale and you were looking to get you know save some money on apparel, like actual Alouette's apparel that you would normally buy on the website, Take a look at the website uh, next. You know, keep your keep your eyes on the website and keep your eye on our socials too, because we'll mention it as well. That when the, this winter sale happens, we haven't given any specific date yet, but uh, it's going to happen. And if and when it does, we'll let you, each and every one of you know about it. Yeah. And here's the uh, now you ta- you and I talked about this. I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you again, but I'm also want to ask the fans what they would actually do in this in, in this situation. So Cliff, as you know, you know sometimes when before players are actually superstars with the team. Uh, when they come into training camp, they usually are assigned a, a, a number. And, and by the time that they become a superstar, it's not nece- not necessarily the same number that they're going to have throughout their career, a la Gino Lewis, a la Ben Cahoon. You know, if you know Alouette's history, you know that each of those two superstars had different numbers when they were rookies. Mm-hmm. And I came across and, the, yeah, and, and rose to prominence wearing another one. So. Exactly. So I, I had the option, which we saw you and I both saw on the rack, of potentially purchasing the original preseason jersey of Davis Alexander because he was six at the time. Uh-huh. And you and I went back and forth about, sh- you know, should we take, you know, because he has been said that he, you know, it's very possible he will be the future quarterback of the team. And mm-hmm. did, you know, did we want to take a risk, quote unquote, risk on his jersey knowing that? And what, and what was the, what was the, what was your answer to me when I asked you, do you think we should buy this jersey based on those variables? It's a gamble. It's definitely a gamble. I mean, I'm sure whoever it was that bought uh, Ben Cahoon's number 32 jersey uh, definitely was taking a, a risk because we did, you know, at that time, you never, you didn't know if Ben Cahoon was going to be a superstar, just yet another player, you know, on the roster. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Geno Lewis. Like he, he started on the practice roster and, you know, had to wait for his opportunity to come up before he became a known name. And yeah, that, that one preseason game, he was number 73. Yep. Uh, but again, uh, you, like I say, it, it's, it's kind of weird. It's one of those uh, deep dive kind of moments. Like I when know. you see someone wearing, if you were to see someone wearing a Ben Cahoon jersey with number 32, your first initial reaction is like, the hell? oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But, but that's if you know, like if you've been following this team like we have for decades now, then you know this history. But I'm sure a lot of people would look at a Gino Lewis 73 jersey and be like, uh, I think he made a mistake there, buddy. Or maybe thinking about somebody else with the name Lewis mm-hmm. on the team. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, like So it, it, it's kind of a, one of those weird things. Like right now, number six is Darius Pickett. Uh, again, we don't know what's going to happen. See, I believe he is a free agent this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if for whatever reason he doesn't come back to the Alouettes, number six would be available. Would Davis want to go back? To wearing his number six, he wore that in uh, in college, as you heard on our interview with him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that might be uh, something to consider. Yeah. It's, it, it, so it, yeah, it, it, it's it's a calculated risk. Let's let's leave it at that. It's, it's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Because as it stands right now, like if you were to you know if you if you were a Davis Alexander fan and you wanted to buy his jersey, typically you'd be buying the number seventeen because that's what he's he was wearing in. 2022 but players change jerseys all the time I'll, I'll give you a great example greg reed when he was first started with the Al- his first year with the alouettes he was number 33 and then he switched to 26 biding his time because obviously he won his number five that he wore when he was in florida state with right. florida state right finally has it now so now but there are people who have purchased uh, 
Greg Reed jerseys with number 26 on them. I have his nameplate. I have his 33 nameplate. There you go. And I mean, and I'm sure somebody somewhere may have purchased that uh, number 33 jersey. But at the same time, it it's kind of weird because if you're wearing it, you're like, you know, it's a Greg Reed jersey. And those who know, know it's Greg Reed jersey. But like casual fans would be like, OK, well, who who's 33 Reed, for example, or mm-hmm. 20 at this point, 26 Reed. I mean, it's. It's one of those tough things. Like, I mean, unfortunately, you know, in a perfect world, yeah, you, you get assigned a number and it's yours till the end of time, basically. Like, and you make that number yours and you make it famous, but it doesn't always work out that way. So it's, as, I, as I've said, it's a calculated risk. I mean, if, I mean, if, if, for example, Davis Alexander takes the number six, if Darius Pick doesn't come back, which I, I sincerely hope he does come back because he's a hell of a player. If, uh, he doesn't come back, and then Davis Alexander does take the number six because all of a sudden it's available, and he does become that superstar that we feel he could be in the right environment, then yeah, you're going to kind of look back and like, dang, maybe I should have got that jersey. <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it it's a catch-22, really, when you think about it. It's, you know, you, you which, which way do you go? Do you, do you gamble on and, and let's not forget, folks, these jerseys are not cheap either. I mean, they're not ridiculously expensive, but they're not cheap either. So, I mean, it's it's a gamble. It's really, truly a gamble. That's There's no other way to describe it. You're buying a lottery ticket and hoping it pays off. Yeah. No, it, it, it's true. So, our question to you is, what would you do if you had the option to purchase a, a team, a potential team star or, you know, somebody a budding who... Super, a budding superstar. Bu- yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's the best way of putting it. What would you do? So, you know, let us know on socials. Let us know on email. Yeah, we'll. Uh, we want to know. We want to know specifically what, what you what you guys think. You know, you can. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. And hey, if if it comes to pass that no one did buy that jersey, then guess what, folks? Now you've got <laughs> you got something to think about. Like, if you want to be the one that you know hops on that next potential superstar and be able to say, "I knew this guy when." Mm-hmm. What better way to do that than with the jersey from his pre- first preseason game where, well, actually, he played two preseason games and was outstanding in them, hence why he made the team, hence why he was a member of the Alouettes and will continue to be a member of the Alouettes going forward. So, yeah, exactly. Know, it, I agree. Say what, folks? I mean, this this could be the opportunity. If it becomes if it comes back on sale again or you find some way to acquire it uh, via the website or what have you, then, uh, you know, may the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> So let us know by social, let us know by email. Email me at tim.capper at alouettesflightdick.ca. Email Cliff at his new email at cliffyd.pine at alouettesflightdick.ca. Let us know what you would do in this in, in this circumstance. We're curious to know. Also, the locker room allowed us to talk to, obviously, a couple of the coaches, got a couple of former players, a couple of you know, current players. Uh, spoke with uh, Gina Lewis, uh, spoke with Anthony Calvillo. We spoke with um, William Stanbeck. I don't know which I enjoyed the most. Can we say all of the above? Yeah, I mean, I'll say all of the above. <laughs> and I think and one fun of, fact, we've had all three of them on, on the Alouette's flight deck. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Um, the one I think I, I love the most, and I've always told you this, and I think people who know me when I do an interview, is if I can learn one new thing in an interview, I'm happy. You know, mm-hmm. if I know it, if you learn it, if the fans, you know, the listeners learn it. In this case, I think it would be the conversation with, uh, with AC. Mm-hmm. Because we were talking about contracts and stuff like that, and then you hit coaches and stuff, and and, and I, I think it just came out of nowhere. He was talking about one of his experiences going through signing a contract during one of his free agent years, and it mm-hmm. blew my mind. Blew my mind. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's always interesting to get perspective when it comes to free agency and, and and all the stuff that goes on with it from someone who's been through it. Like someone who was, it may have been several years ago, but he, he still went through it. Like it's it's hard to fathom that the Alouettes would have ever let Anthony Calvillo get to free agency, but it came very close, folks. Uh, I, and we came to learn this as well, is that you know, he was, he had actually signed a contract for, you know, ex- an extension minutes before becoming a free agent, if mm-hmm. you could believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about going down to the wire. Mm-hmm. And this was something that was, as far as I know, never revealed, uh, you know, or not made public the fact that, you know, AC was this close to becoming an actual, honest to goodness, free agent. Yeah. I mean, you just assume that, okay, well, he's such an integral part of the Alouettes, especially in the early 2000s, all the way through to the Grey Cup years. I mean, like, like the idea that you would let AC get that get to that point where he might go somewhere else is you just can't even wrap your head around it. No, but sure enough, uh, from from AC's lips himself, like he he had mentioned that he he'd spoke about this, and I'm like, wow, this is fascinating, mm-hmm. and just yeah, you you wonder what the thought process was, and just yeah, and we we sat we we talked with him for a good while. It was it was amazing, and the the fact that we have that opportunity, Tim, to be able to sit and you know chit chat with a, a legend like Anthony Calvillo. Yeah, agreed. Is, agreed. Is amazing. And just getting his perspective as well as a, you know, his first year back with the Alouettes as a as a position coach again. And he's gone through so much too. I mean, over the past couple of years. And for him to be in this position is tremendous. And I sincerely hope as again, we we tried to see if we can get some insight as to this uh, potential coaching change, whether uh, there actually will be a new head coach or just maybe does Danny Mac step behind the sidelines again? We'll, you know, we'll see. And even AC is just like, well, I guess, you know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Like he seems confident that he'll be back with the Alouettes in 2023. And I sincerely hope so. Yeah. I, I sincerely hope AC is back and still doing his thing. So I guess we'll, you know, let the chips fall where they may and, it all depends on the head coach uh, that that gets brought in, whether or not uh, the he still wants AC on the staff. I I, I sincerely hope so. So, you know, like I said, fingers crossed that AC is still a member of the Alouettes in some way, shape, or form in 2023. That's all we can hope for. It was just an absolute blast to talk with him. Oh yeah, and, and then and we also found out a little bit more. You know, we you know found out about his book, how how that came to be. Um, you know, he explained it. I didn't know this. This is one of those things where, you know, it takes time and time and time for a book, you know, a book to be, uh, to be, uh, you know, thought of at first and then the idea brought to a publisher and, and then giving the go ahead and yada, yada, yada. That wasn't the case. This thing almost was a done deal from the get go, which is before, before before one word was written, it was a go. Yeah, (laughs) I know. And you know, he even said himself, you know, the, the, the best way right now for it to get a lot of traction at it is currently because he's been, you know, asked a, a lot of questions about when is it going to be available in English. We completely understood why the book was released in French first in Quebec. We completely understand why it was done that way. You know, A, it's the market. B, it's the market. C, C, A, and B. B you know, yeah. it, it's, but he did say, for those of you across Canada and in the U.S., there will be an English version coming in the near future, mm-hmm. so stay tuned for that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading this, reading this book and, and uh, uh, seeing what he has to say. 
Oh, without question. I mean, and we were we were blessed to have him on a couple of years ago and definitely would love to have him back on again to share not only this uh, story of his uh, impending free agency of a whole 10 minutes <laughs> or whatever it was, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just to have him back on to, you know, kind of rehash some of this stuff. And you know, I'm sure he's got so many great, more, more great stories to tell. And, you know, anytime he wants to come back on the podcast, he's more than welcome to do so. Oh, exactly. Um, speaking with Gino, obviously, as everybody knows, he is a free agent. Um, a lot of variables, obviously, this year. Um, if you saw his pre his uh, postseason press conference, uh, you know what he's looking for. Um, Cliff and I, and I put out on social what I think he's worth a year. Um, this is going to be, and I've already said to you multiple times, Cliff, that this is going to be a very stressful offseason, I think. Um, I, I think as soon as one, I think as soon as one or two people get signed via, before free agency, the dominoes will will start to line up. Everything will fall into place. And I think what it is too is, and I know they want to get this settled before Christmas, but the whoever is going to be the head coach of the Alouettes in 2023 mm-hmm. is going to be a major decision maker for a lot of these pending free agents. And I, I really think that's that's really what it's going to come down to is whoever the head coach get, is that gets hired, are these free agents like Gino and Trevor Harris and others, are they going to want to play for this guy? Or is it going to be a matter of, okay, maybe I really just want to see what my market value is and you know, Danny should know what I'm worth. And is he willing to pay that right away? Then I'll sign. If not, well, let's see what the other eight teams are offering me mm. and then go from there. So it's you're right. It has potential to be very stressful, uh, you know, until until we get that announcement that, hey, so and so is staying put and t- until then. All we can do is wait and speculate. And uh, again, it, it all comes down to who gets hired as head coach for the Alouettes, especially if it's not Danny Machocha, who has said on numerous occasions that he will not be the head coach in 2023. I want to believe that, but the, <laughs> It, uh, there's so many variables here, as as I said. There's, there's there's a lot of things to take in consideration when it comes to that. And he did say there was a small chance that he could return to the sidelines. And I guess we'll see. I, I you know, like I'm I'm willing to keep an open mind to everything, especially after this year. What we've seen this year from this coaching staff and from this organization, I am willing to keep an open mind. But it's got to make sense. No matter what the decision is, it has to make sense because. This head coach hiring, this head coach hiring is going to make or break this team. Uh, you know, Danny wants to put his own person in. He wants to put his his own stamp on this team, and for the most part, he has when it comes to the like, general manager moves. Now it comes down to who your head coach is going to be. If it's not you, if it's if it's going to be someone else, you can't whiff on this one. I mm-hmm. mean, you take a look what the Ottawa Red Blacks did in hiring Bob Dice, which I think was a great hire, and look who he's brought onto his staff already i mean danny machocha cannot misstep here at all when it comes to this hire whether it's him coming back or whether he brings in someone else he cannot make a mistake with this hire it has to he has to hit a home run not a triple practically a grand slam at this point like he cannot (laughs) miss with this hire no i i agree i agree I also thought it was funny that we were, I'm sure he knew in the back of his head, you know, you know, to kind of put it, put the inception into uh, William Stambeck's head about the, uh, about the upcoming addition of the designated Canadian position and saying, Hey, it may be something you may want to add into your contract as a, as a bonus, because this, that easily could become a game changer next year. It's going to be interesting to see how that forms. We need to see more information on it, obviously, but 
it was interesting to see his reaction when we talked about the, the, the potential of even if he doesn't become the designated Canadian this year, he could easily become he could become one next year if the uh, if the amount of players is increased by the CFL. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's definitely something that players it's an option that is now suddenly available to them or potentially can be made available to them. Mm-hmm. And you saw like you could see like the gears turning like he was like, really? OK, you know, just kind of thinking like. All right, all right. Um, yeah, again, he's already under contract for next season. But if the Alwats want to keep him happy, knowing how productive he is and what he can do and what he has done for this organization, this is another potential dangling carrot to just you know keep your your superstars happy, if you will. So will it happen? It's again only time's going to tell. But uh, I mean, it definitely gave him food for thought. Yeah. Uh, maybe we cost the organization a few bucks because now maybe now he's going to go back with his agent and say, hey, I want to get paid again. <laughs> like, thanks, uh, Jerkoffs over at the flight deck for putting that idea in his head. <laughs> you know, I, I think a couple of players, I wouldn't be surprised, Cliff, knowing that if they have the potential to be uh, given that option of being you know, named a designated Canadian, I, I'm sure a few of these other contracts that are going to be signed in free agency, they won't, no matter where they go, no matter where they play in the CFL, I'm sure that will be added into many, many contracts when it comes to a particular bonus that they could earn. So, Cliff, uh, you want to talk about the news we found out this week? With certain players and signing stuff, absolutely. Okay, I mean, we it's we just talked about uh, players signing, and uh, we actually came to learn that uh, Almondo Sewell will be returning to the Alouettes. No, he is not the designated Canadian. We we clarified that with him. We did, yep. And uh, we're very excited to see Mondo back because since he's been here in Montreal, I mean, he's just been a force and just just does it, man. I mean, the guy is just you know he's a veteran, but man, he plays with such passion, with such dedication, uh, puts his heart, he wears his heart on his sleeve and he just goes out there and does his job and does an amazing job of it too. And he's basically like a, a coach, if you will, on, on the defensive line. Like he's a little bit older than some of the, the guys on the line, but you know what? He, he brings the experience. He's got that veteran savvy. I mean, and he just, he knows how to get the most out of players as well. I mean, it's, it's like having a defensive line coach right there beside you when you're lining up on the D line with, uh, with Mondo. And that's gotta be a great feeling as well. Like you start, you, you talk to some of the guys like Mike Moore, Nick, Usher, Brock Gowanlock, especially like uh, like these are young, hungry guys that have helped make an impact on this team. Uh, Jamal Davis too, I'm sure, has to be excited knowing that uh, Mondo is going to be back and you know help help him become the best player possible as well. So definitely excited to see Mondo back. Uh, and also today was also announced that uh, long snapper Pierre Lucado is back with the Alouettes. Definitely excited. And funny thing with long snapper is. You don't always know who the long snapper is, and sometimes that's by design because if the long snapper is doing his job properly, you don't notice him. Right. It's when he's not there that you notice, oh, <laughs> that's a very important position. <laughs> so very excited that Pierre Luc is back. Um, in addition to that, there's also been a, a few roster ads as well. And uh, one or two guys that have been a, a part of the practice roster, which I think, if given the right opportunity, will become impact players. Uh, most notably, Radim Brown and Yanis Chihat. Uh, both were actually drafted this year by the Alouettes in the uh, 2022 draft. Uh, they both went back to school. Uh, both were able to contribute. And especially uh, Yanis won a, a Vanier Cup for the uh, Laval Rouget Or. So he's bringing yet more championship experience to this team in in its own way. So cannot be mad about that. 
Uh, Rashad Harding was added to the uh, practice roster and didn't get a chance to see any action this year. But this is one of those diamond in the rough types that uh, I think is going to make an impact. And I, I got a feeling, too, he's definitely excited about the prospect of coming to camp and competing to be a part of this linebacking core. As as you know, the Alouette's linebacking core this year was nothing short of incredible. So if Harding can come in and make an impact right away, I mean, that's just makes a good thing even better. Oh, yeah. Plus, we've got two uh, receivers as well added to the roster, uh, Demetrius Robertson and Jermaine Wynn, uh, both young, burgeoning talents that uh, I think in the right scenario, in the right situation, can give some of these, uh, again, you take a look at the wide receiving core this year, absolute murderer's row of talent when you think about it. And to the point where I have to wonder, like, are we going to be able to keep everybody? I mean, you think about it, like Jake Winecki, yep. Reggie White Jr., Gino. I mean, these guys are free agents. And I know everybody's concentrating on Gino as far as making sure that he comes back as an Elouette. But, I mean, you, I mean you, you're going to have to pay Gino. There's no question about that. You're going to have to pay a Trevor Harris at quarterback. And a lot of guys are going to want to get paid. And one can't help but wonder if some of these receivers are going to be on the outside looking in. In which case, you better have a damn good backup plan. Yeah. And, you know, it, it could very well be one of these youngsters that I just mentioned here. Like, they could come into camp and just play lights out football. And lo and behold, they make the roster. And next you know, you're buying their jersey at the locker room sale <laughs> next year. <laughs> exactly. And I've, I think I've said this. I don't know if I said it on the pod or not, but I've said it openly. Uh, the names that we currently have that are that are free agents the, the the big names here cliff i think we're losing at least one wide receiver it's inevitable i mean that's that's the thing because all these guys are going to want to get paid and they're all known entities in this league thanks to the alouettes thanks to them playing the way they have you know they're they know what they're worth. They know they, they have a, an idea. They have a number in mind in their head of what they feel they deserve. And if Montreal can't meet it, maybe someone else will. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, then yeah. Or if the opportunity to win a great cup. I mean, yes, Montreal was very close to doing that. But there was a couple other teams, too, that were just on the cusp. And maybe, just maybe, if one of those guys was playing on the team, that could have made all the difference in the world. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. That's, the, that's kind of the beauty of this is knowing what you're worth and not willing to settle. I mean... I, I, again, I, I think the idea of a hometown discount sounds nice. And for some players, yeah, they'd be willing to do that. But I think a lot of these guys, I think at this point, too, know, now that the uncertainty that was there before when it came to the uh, collective bargaining agreement and what these players could get, now that that's kind of in the past right now. like, And that's why a lot of these guys were signing these one-year deals, mostly to bet on themselves a little bit, but also to just to know that, okay, at least this year I'm covered, but I know things are changing. Yeah. And when they do, and if I have the opportunity to make more money, I'm going to take it. Whether it's here in Montreal or elsewhere, that's what I'm going to do, which any athlete is going to do. There's, you know, they'd be crazy not to. I mean, like at the end of the day, this is a business. This is, this is their job. This is what they're getting paid to do. And you want to maximize yourself as much as possible. And as great it would be to keep all these guys intact, inevitably someone is going to be probably low-balled offered and maybe feel like, okay, I, I think I'm just going to have to move on because I, I want to get paid and I want to win a championship. And if I can't do one or the other here, then I'm just going to take my talents elsewhere. It'll be interesting to see, as this will be more for during the offseason and our first couple of shows for 2023. Lastly, before we get to our great interview with Alouette's President Mario Ticini, we found out 
that not one, but two players, well-known players on the Alouettes, actually had tryouts with the with teams in the NFL. KJG, Kayon Julian Grant, worked out for the Denver Broncos. And Alouettes Eastern Division, most outstanding rookie, Tyson Philpot worked out for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure it won't be their only workouts. Yeah. I'd hate to lose them already, but man, we understand. It's 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 sports. Well, it's sports. That, that, it's that NFL window mm-hmm. is there, and you'd be stupid not to take it. There's no question. I mean, yes, I would love nothing more to, to know that these guys are still going to be Alouettes for years to come, but you've got a finite opportunity a finite time number amount of time to take advantage of an opportunity like this and a workout is never a guarantee all it really is is you go there you show your stuff you show the coaches and scouts what you can do and hey if you blow the doors off and you really wow them then yeah they'll offer you a contract if not they'll just say okay thank you very much and you go back to your your canadian football league team yeah, exactly simple as that exactly. and you know what it's if, if nothing else, it makes them richer for the experience to at least go and see if they can do it, if, if they can match up, if they can go head to head with other potential football players for, in the States and see what, you know, see what they're up against and see what they can do. Because you, you've seen what they can do on the football field here in Canada, but NFL game, just a little bit different. So especially when it comes to receiving position, because there's no waggle in the NFL, like you've got to be able to show that you can pretty much go from zero to 60 right away. As soon as the ball is snapped, uh, you got to show you got the hands too. You got to show you can run the routes. I mean, like the, like when it comes to the receiving position, I mean, it's a little bit of a different animal mm-hmm. than what you would expect to see here in, in the Canadian football league. But I mean, you got two young, hungry guys like Phil pot and Julian Grant. I mean, I, I definitely don't fault them for taking that shot for going and seeing what's what it is. If, if nothing else, It'll up their game when it comes to when they come back to the Alouettes. If for whatever reason they don't make it on an NFL squad, they can come back richer for the experience and know exactly what they have to do to get to that next level. I mean, that's the beautiful thing is these guys are still so young and still have a lot, lot left in the tank. As we mentioned, uh, we um, we are going to be speaking with Myra Giacchini. um, uh, And when we get back from this end, it's a must listen to. If you've been listening to over the past couple of years, this is a must listen to because we always get some tidbits, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, but uh, but when we're done with the interview, we will come back, have our year end review and finish up the broadcast season for 2022. And what has become an annual tradition here at the Alouette Flight Deck podcast, we wanted to make sure that we spoke with a gentleman who could get us up to date on uh, season-ending Alouette's news, what hopefully will be coming up uh, in the, for the 2023 season, and any type of tidbits that we can get out of him. On the line with us now, President of the Montreal Alouettes, Mario Ciccini. Hey, Mario. For the third straight year in a row, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a great pleasure. How, how are you both uh, gentlemen doing? Doing wonderful. And you know what? It's funny. Like you figure like December, people think about the holidays. They think about the end of the year, everything like that. And like, you know, there's all sorts of traditions with that. And to me, like this is becoming a tradition of ours and we're absolutely here for it. Yes, of course. Yeah. And speaking of that, just leading into that, by the way, Mario, we know that we at least have to ask first off, we we know that your contract is coming up uh, with the Alouettes. We obviously we want to continue our yearly tradition. Are you able to, to tell give us any update on where you're where your contract uh, situation is and uh, uh, will we be seeing you as president in 2023? 
Well, for sure, it's uh, it's my wish. No, no real update at this point. We're we're uh, very very busy right now, and uh, you know we'll just we're gonna talk through this and hopefully uh, get it done pretty soon. So that's uh, that's my wish, uh, Tim. Okay. That uh, that obviously uh, we go on um, uh, not finishing because it's never finished, but pursuing and going on building what we have started to build since the rebuild, and uh, you know in a post-COVID era, so many challenges, but but absolutely my wish. Yeah. Um, for those who may have missed it, um, give us a, a quick synopsis of what you mentioned in the Alouettes uh, end-of-year uh, press conference. I know you mentioned specifically about TV and radio and stuff like that, but uh, give us a quick synopsis on, on what you mentioned to, uh, to everybody in the media. Absolutely, my pleasure. Well, basically, guys, we have a lot, the way I like to say it is, we have a lot of indicators that are green. You know, it, it never goes up as fast as you want it to or as fast as you want, uh, you know, that you would wish that uh, the public would respond or the sponsors would respond. But, but I have to admit, it's only the right direction, you know, so we have to work on our patience a little bit. Um, listen, we've, we've raised our ticket sales this year again. Uh, very good. In the first comparison where we have a full season now, obviously not comparing to last year because we had seven games, but comparing to 2019, where the full, the same thing, about the same result also on the field, 10 and 8 season versus a 9 and 9 season, albeit uh, started difficult this year, but, you know, we recuperated in time. And so sales are up. Uh, business club was sold out again. Um, same thing with the boxes, still uh, went way up versus 2019. Um, and even on prorated on a prorated basis, higher than last year. Um, obviously, the sponsorships we we started with a very low base in 2019 because a lot of clients had deserted at that time because of the uncertainty before we got on board. So uh, happy with where we are at this point, and we've enlarged our team. We've added. A salesperson, so I'm very optimistic for the future. So, so that's on basically the business side. And on football, well, we uh, oh, before I quit the business side, you were mentioning ratings. It is the ratings keep going up since 2019 on uh, on RDS, particularly radio is happy with us. Uh, so it's really um, it's really good in terms of how the team is popular and the team is is gathering more and more fans. The challenge is to get more of them. As you know, uh, at the stadium, consumer behavior has changed a lot mm -hmm. since COVID. Uh, people, you know, I was listening last week. There was a singer, one of the uh, one of the singer called Child the Pirate, who sells probably I don't know one of the top singers in Quebec, and she was saying that she's having difficulty selling tickets now in order to get people up their bums, you know, up their couches, and and obviously there's less people downtown. So I'm not telling you things that you don't know. But it's just had the challenges, uh, plus really habits that have that have transformed themselves. So that's on the boring business side, quote unquote, <laughs> when I boring, of course. But obviously on the, on, on the football field, well, that's where you guys can an, 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 analyze it the same way I can. A very tough start, uh, but did the changes that we felt was needed to be done. Uh, even after the changes, a little bit of adjustment period, as you know, no cam changing some of the structure of the, the defense in particular. Uh, and obviously, with a different OC, um, AC taking over for uh, for uh, Kahari, uh, a lot of things change. And basically, we finished eight and four, if I look at it from the perspective of the last 12 games after that Winnipeg win, where we went a, a low point of being two and six. And that Winnipeg game turned it around for us. And uh, we, did, we built from there 
and ended up at 12 and four in the last two games, inclusive of the playoffs. So um, I think we're on a ride. Uh, we were on a ride. Unfortunate, unfortunate uh, game in Toronto. But uh, the positive after a month, because it still hurts. But after a month, you sort of say, okay, guys, at least we did go further than than the last eight years, and we offered our fans our, our playoff win on November 6th. So that was that was quite a thrill that game. Uh, wish we could have gone further, but. Uh, it was not meant for this year. So overall, positive year from that point of view. After a, a start that was very difficult. And, and by the way, for those who may have not seen it, I don't know if they showed it on the broadcast, Meyer or not. And I know I mentioned it to you personally, but uh, when Cliff and I were there at the game, this this man that we call our president is not just only a businessman, but he is a huge fan. And I and I told Mario, I don't think I've ever seen him so excited after the William Stanbeck touchdown. He was acting like a fan himself. So if you ever, if you guys ever have any concerns that he's one or the other, he's both. This gentleman is both. <laughs> Very much so. Well, listen, uh, first of all, I cannot hold back. So it, it's fun because for years I've been watching and, and, and uh, jumping up and down and getting on my knees in my in my living room or in the stands <laughs> and uh, and when William especially what you're referring to when William scored I thought that was it you know I thought at this point okay guys that 21-3 we were losing by 18 and I said this point we're back 24 20, 21 it was like 13 minutes um, I mean it was 28 minutes left in the game it was right after the start of second of third quarter so I said we're in this is us this is our game and I was so excited yeah Will gave us a 50 yard run or just about so it was it was a tremendous run also you know in between three or four of these Toronto guys I could not catch up to, to him and even finishing tumbling in the end zone and Gino right there behind him. Mm-hmm. So it was was a great moment. It was a great moment in a very tough game, but that was a great moment. Yeah, for sure. Now, wh- one question, by the way, um, and I'm hoping you can give a little bit of, of insight on this because you mentioned when, when it comes to TV and you know the French ratings and stuff like that. That, to me, at least in, uh, I guess, maybe the English side when it comes to fans, we really don't get to hear what the actual ratings are for RDS. Because when the league usually puts out, you know, their press releases and gives their the numbers for a previous week's games, you know, Alouette games seem to be lower, obviously, because they don't include RDS numbers. And all or either that, uh, Mario, or they're basing it off of, you know, the estimates that have been put out years prior. Do you know what the actual numbers, what the Alouettes actually averaged on RDS during the year? So at least we can get the fans a little bit more information on the numbers? Well, what I can tell you, because typically these ratings, to to your point of RDS, they don't like to necessarily share it. And it's, but somehow there's some other sites that that uh, you know give the numbers out. But when you add the first of all, when you add the RDS numbers, the Alouettes are usually the teams that is the have the most listeners of their games, mm-hmm. very close with Saskatchewan, one or two. The two top rated games of the year, two out of three, the Alouettes were part of. So. Uh, that was not the case in the recent years because RDS finally got up back to where it should be. And let's say that usually on most games, we're north of about 220, 230, 240. Uh, and basically that number was probably half of that uh, in 2018. So that's when I say 18, 19, 21, and 22, obviously reminding people that we haven't played in 20. Right. Uh, uh, so this, that's, that's when I say it close to double. Uh, that's where it comes from. Uh, obviously, there's games when you're in the West, for example, and it's the 9 p.m. start here. Uh, those are tougher games, 
but typically uh, we're able to gather around those those numbers on a very 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 regular basis. So, and the important thing um, this year is that is that when you couple TSN and RDS, RDS actually has, has, is recording growth for their uh, CFL games and Alouette games versus TSN where it's more stable. So we're happy, um, we're happy that RDS can help their uh, English counterpart in that yeah. sense. Um, what we're looking at the entire season itself, obviously, as you mentioned, we're coming off of a, for our first full season uh, since COVID. Um, uh, you know, there were so many good. What was the biggest challenge for the team in 2022? It's a very good question. There were so many. Uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, Tim, I viewed everything as a challenge. Um, and obviously, there's always two parts to that answer, football side and, and, and uh, business side. Mm-hmm. Business side was obviously the behavior, as I've mentioned earlier. Uh, keep going back to that because it's very, very challenging right now to sell any tickets. So that was to me a challenge, and I was a, I was happy that we were able to raise it by by close to thirty percent. So that 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 was good. Um, I was happy that we gathered close to twenty thousand two or three times, like biggest crowd since twenty seventeen. Another good sign. Um, the schedule was tough. Uh, three Thursdays to begin with. Um, but then we had two afternoon games or three afternoon games, if you count Thanksgiving and two Saturdays at four, that was great. Not sure we're going to get that in 2023 because we've changed our way of doing it a little bit. Uh, so, so those were, those were challenging and obviously everything actually, even the marketing budgets right now that you hear about from companies and so on with the rising cost and some of the, the, the cost cutting that some people have to do in order to, to you know, provide on 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 order to um, how do you say supplement to higher mm-hmm. uh, cost of of uh, workforce or materials. Uh, marketing budgets are always the one where you cut right right uh, first uh, because it's not people. Um, so so that was a challenge. And on the field, well, we wanted to have a winning season. We wanted to make sure after a seven seven season and a disappointing loss in Hamilton last year that we at least go further. So we did not get the winning season per se in terms of numbers because we ended up at 599. But I think that the way we did in the playoffs and particularly the way uh, the team played, I mean, even in, even in Toronto game, there were some obviously mishaps on defense. But at the end of the day, it was a game that was still close, was still one score. Was very happy over the year that that we, aside from one game, that Friday night Labor Day against Ottawa. Um, aside from that game, we're in it all the time until late, um, and uh, we provided a competitive team. I think we provided a good show and good entertainment for our fans. So and so, those were the things that I wanted us as a team to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. I think I think we're more on the on, on the good side of what we wanted to accomplish because uh, obviously there's many more things. Say last year again, remember, gentlemen, in Jan, Feb, and close to I believe mid March of 2021, we were all at home still. Yeah, all with COVID. Nobody was in the office, so you can say whatever you want about working from home, but it's not the same from a team perspective. And uh, definitely our, our, our preparation was great, was good, uh, but was not optimal, you know. So this year now, I'm counting much more on us being able to, to think with our partners, uh, to look at stuff where nothing is sort of delayed all the time right. and that we can get back to some form of 
of um, you know normalcy. Sure. If I can use that word. Sure. Uh, and one last business question. I like then I like Cliff in here. Um, the change last year when it came to virtual ads. I always wanted to ask you this. And so now T- yeah. TSN and RDS are going with virtual ads. Is what what is your opinion on the virtual ads? Is the team making money off these virtual ads? I mean, obviously, you don't have to paint them on the field anymore, so you're saving some money there. Um, but overall, as a franchise and as the president of a franchise, what are your thoughts on the virtual ads now being uh, run by TSN and RDS? Oh, uh, first of all, we are making money in the sense that what we uh, the, the 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 conversation was very simple. If when we put them on the field, we were making money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was our money, like TSN, RDS, I no say in it. But then when you turn around and you say to RDS, help us out, uh, because they wanted a cleaner field. Uh, they, quite frankly, didn't, don't like necessarily the fact that the field was full of ads. Right. Um, so basically, they turn around and they say, okay, uh, we'll give you that, but then we'll go virtual, but we'll keep the money, of course. Uh, because it was our money before, it's still our money now. So, so that's the way that we made it work. So we do obviously make make money off it. And uh, TSN and RDS are happy because uh, they get a cleaner field to work with. So, um, so that came out to be a good um, a good um, a good deal for both parties. Oh, good, good here, Cliff. Okay, let's go back to the start of the year, Mario, uh, specifically training camp. Uh, as you recall, with the uh, impending player strike uh, that uh, thankfully was averted, yeah. uh, there was definitely some challenges as far as trying to communicate that to fans versus what other teams were doing. Uh, can you take us just through the process of what was going on as far as trying to convey the message to the fans that uh, things were uh, I don't want to say not 100%, but you had to know that something was going on and that was going to affect the start of training camp. Uh, I'm going to try answering, Cliff. I'm not sure I get 100% the sense of your question, but basically I think we were always trying to be pretty straightforward with the fans and the sponsors for the for that matter who are who have their skin in it, who have some skin in the game. So uh, it wasn't clear until about... I uh, Sorry, I mean, it was... To me, it wasn't... Um, I wasn't afraid that we would not start the season until maybe because that stoppage happened on a Saturday night. So until maybe that Thursday where I started to think, okay, maybe this, this won't start on, on, on time. And I got, we got, well, I, but we all got a little bit worried at that point. And uh, it turned out to be true that uh, the players were going to vote against some of what the executive had recommended. That was that was very particular. So they wanted to get back. And, and when that happens, well, you, you sort of right now you sort of figure, OK, guys, that's that's not necessarily not necessarily too bad, but not necessarily good either. So when you're not in their camp, so you try to figure it out. Um, but in the end, you know, we got the resolution. Um, we, uh, I think one of the best things we did, Cliff, if you remember, is to keep uh, the players, giving them, you know, come into camp. And if ever there's a stoppage, uh, we will keep you there. We will feed you, you know, and we will uh, lodge you. So um, can I say that? Lodged you? Does that, does that work? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Provide, sure. Uh, yeah. Provide yeah. housing. Mm-hmm. So, Correct. So the players could come and not be, um, you know, afraid not to, to, to have anything to eat or not know what, where to stay. So when that stoppage happened, I think it helped us. They recognized that we wanted to have a quick resolution. We wanted to move ahead. There was no way after COVID and uh, a, a shortened season, two things that never happened, 
in a hundred years that we were going to have now the third thing that hadn't happened since the seventies, I believe linger on too much. So we got to work. Uh, the team of the CFL got to work. Uh, we all talked to some players. Uh, I mean, I got involved with our leadership uh, on, uh, on, on some talks on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think by the Thursday we got it done and we were back on the field on the Friday. So, so. And it was important because you probably remember in Alberta because of different um, uh, laws, uh, around labor laws, they were not able, like you have to give one week of notice. So they were practicing that all week. And we were opening against Calgary. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we lost a week of camp versus Calgary, who's not a bad team at all. Uh, so we were all, <laughs> for us, it was extra motivation to get the resolution. And um, so I, I hope we did a good a good thing communicating that to fans. Um, I know I was doing my best on, on answering when I got direct questions, but, but it was challenging because you're in the fog, you know, you're in, you don't really know right now. It's, you're, you're, it, that's when it becomes a bit of an adversarial process. And we don't want that with a partner like the players are, but it, for a couple of days, it becomes an adversarial process where everybody's thinking how to best move forward for the collective good but through their own eyes. So, and at one point, you got to meet in the middle. And I think, um, I think that's what we basically did. Everybody pour a little water in their wine, as we say, and we're able to move forward. I don't know, Cliff. Am I answering your question? I want to make sure that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what okay. I was going to say too was that uh, it started out kind of rocky, but then by the end, I think training camp ended up being a success, especially out in Trois-Rivières, first time the Alouettes yeah, have had training camp there. Uh, can you tell us if there's plans for the Alouettes to go back in 2023 to Trois-Rivières, or is there perhaps another location in mind? No, there's there's, there's actual plans, because we feel that we owe, owe, and owe them something. <laughs> we, we owe them a week uh, of presence there. But yeah, we actually are Looking at Trois-Rivières again, uh, looking at different options, but uh, Trois-Rivières is in the mix for sure. Hopefully we can announce that. Uh, I want to get it done by you know mid-Jan, late-Jan, something like that, where we can announce it all. So obviously there's the Christmas break, and we have winter meetings in, uh, in January, uh, the first week, the week of the ninth. I'm in Calgary with the whole league. Um, so that's so you know so we should be able like so we sort of what I'm saying is that we sort of lose three weeks if you will with the break and that week in Calgary. So hopefully if we get it done by the end of Jan we'll be able to announce something. Yes. All right, and you actually led perfectly into my next question. Uh, this year you took over as lead governor of the Alouettes. Uh, take us through that experience as far as being the sort of go-to person for the CFL as far as the Alouettes go. Well, it's been it's been fun. Typically speaking, uh, the governors and the presidents are often together in the same meeting, so it's not as if everything is new. But you are privy to part of the businesses that is different, and the majority ownership uh, trusted me with that since August. So uh, actually, the board, the next second board meeting is next week, uh, second in terms of since uh, since September. So um, no, so it's been it's been good. I mean. Um, it's it's really great people, guys. There's a lot of work to be done. Everybody recognizes that. Uh, tough tough situations for some, easier for others, but nothing comes easy, really. Um, good group, um, people who can work together, people who can talk to each other, people who can disagree respectfully. And uh, you know, uh, as we like to say sometimes, there's an expression that I that I that I like a lot that says, you know, um, uh, strong opinions. Uh, loosely held. Uh, so at one point, you got to also be able to listen to the other party and 
and open up and and uh, and maybe see it a different way and and again meet somewhere where everybody can live with uh, with the resolution. So so it's a good group of people, very mature uh, and very very uh, focused on you know getting things done. And and we did in a way. We did a lot of work with the revenue share in 2019. The way we worked the schedule next year, where we have different objectives collectively. And understanding that there's going to be some sacrifices here and there, but the collective good is better. I think that um, I think everybody understands that, and uh, moving forward, it's it's a good sign for everybody to move forward like that. Definitely, I, I think uh, as long as there's clarity and people understand what uh, each person's role is, I mean, it, as they say, like many hands make light work, so. It, it has to help make things easier for you to communicate with the league and to essentially work together because essentially that's what it comes down to is there's nine partners in this uh, in this corporation if you absolutely. will absolutely uh, absolutely and uh, that's the way we have to look at it. we have to look at it like a big corporations with nine divisions or probably 10 if you can the league has also a very uh, you know division on its own so absolutely that's the way to look at it Okay. Now, with uh, Danny Machocha, as far as the work he, he's done this year, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst and 10 being the best, where would you rank his 2022 season as far as general manager and as head coach? That's, uh, that's a very good question. I would be curious if you get Danny on the podcast, ask him the same question and don't tell him my answer because uh, I think will be because he's going to be humble about it. Um, I listen, guys, it's pretty close. Like, and all admitting that perfection doesn't exist, it's in the nines as far as I'm concerned. I mean, as a GM, you saw the end of the year when we needed to turn things around. When we lost William back in game one, boom, William Fletcher was let go by Edmonton. We had our eyes on him. Boom, he's on our team. Uh, Ty Beverly uh, moving Pickett uh, to, to a different position. Uh, starting with Marc-Antoine, the, the, who led the team with four picks. And I mean, clutch picks. Important picks, um, three out of four for sure were clutch picks. Uh, or, I mean, uh, as a GM, I think we got we got uh, we got the most. You know, just also signing all of our O line last year at the end of the year in order to be ready for 2022. You know how important it is for that group to be together. Um, so as a GM, it's a great great rating as far as I'm concerned. Um, but then then obviously as a coach, as I said. Um, uh, turned it around. Uh, the results are there. You know, after we had some adjustments done, the three, four games worked up. He started one and three in his case also. Um, but then boom, just got turned around. That game in Winnipeg really did it for us. Um, that's when Wes Sutton, I believe, became the player that he became uh, during that game was unbelievable. Uh, he did the fumble. He did the save for the pass on the second down in the overtime. That game turned us around. Uh, and then Again, as I said, we just went seven and three. Sitting at two and six, we were saying, guys, we need to go basically seven games. We need to go seven and three, eight and two. We believe we could do eight and two. So seven and three came out. Nobody, nobody would have said um, that we would had that that result with the last ten games. So I ended up at nine and nine. So that's why it's sort of a victorious nine and nine, if you will, uh, one way to look at it. And we went further in the playoffs. So. Um, no, so uh, no, I'm, I'm giving him a very high mark, um, Danny, this year. And you have to imagine. Problem with Danny is that uh, when he started as a coach, he wouldn't let go of the. Uh, he still did his duty as GM and looking at players and looking at film and through the preparation. So that's why it's two full-time jobs, believe me. 
and uh, definitely see there could have been some sometimes I understand there's some circumstances where you may want to have the same person doing both but Danny's so knowledgeable in terms of evaluating talent that that's where we because that's that's the key uh, uh, the best coach without the tools cannot build a house right uh, cannot build a winning team so we need the tools first and foremost and obviously Danny always feel now that we you know we're going to pick another coach um, with a relationship that he's going to have with that coach, he's also going to be be so helpful anyway in terms of um, in terms of how that relationship will will go. So I feel we win big uh, on both fronts. Okay. Do you think that? Well, I honestly I, I don't expect you to say yes or no either way. But uh, has he had much in a way of discussion as far as uh, at least trying to get your input as far as like the next head coach would be for the Alouettes? Yeah, well, we worked we worked together on that. Obviously, uh, Danny is going to be the um, decision maker as far as football is concerned. Where I come in, if I meet one or two, um, you know, when I meet the finalist, if you will, it's all about my part. Is about sort of the cultural fit, if you will, the community involvement. You know, what kind of person he is, what kind of character he is. So then he gets a second opinion. Uh, from somebody who obviously may or may not know that person as well as he does. Uh, so it's just like when you hire anybody, you will look at, you know, you have an HR person with you who has different eyes. But for me, it's important that the coach understand that he's coming into a, a, a province, um, a culture that is different, uh, whether he's Canadian or American. Um, there's, a, there's a predominant French uh, language here that uh, the person needs to understand. The culture, therefore, is different also. Uh, if he has kids, he needs to understand uh, all of this, how things will evolve, his wife, his family. Is that going to take a toll, not take a toll? Uh, all of this is important, first of all, to understand uh, the pressure that he's going to be in. And um, and then, obviously, uh, we need someone involved in the community. I cannot have a coach, for instance, that will not go to hospitals, that will not go to uh, saint once in a while, that will not go to uh, events with, uh, we're about to announce a deal with, uh, not a deal, is uh, a partnership with La DPG, you know, so we'll be helping kids, underprivileged kids. Uh, so I cannot have a coach that, that turns its back on that. He needs to be present in the community as we go on building. I need to have a coach that's going to shake hands with the fans on the sidelines uh, before the game. He's going to, you know, take time with the sponsors if we bring him to practice once in a while. All of these things, um, we need to look ourselves in the eye and, and you know, and say, listen, this is not this is not an option here. Whether we win, whether we lose, that's the way we work it here. We want to be close to the people, and uh, and hopefully after a game when there's people on the field, that they also uh, come out and uh, take the time to shake hands again, win or lose. Uh, I mean, the fans are there for us. We need to be there for them. So, so that's the part we play. And obviously, you know, with my limited football knowledge compared to these guys, uh, it's always fun to have an opinion and exchange on that uh, when you hear. You know, interviews, you hear different visions and some strikes me different than it strikes Danny. So that's that's always interesting to discuss. But but it's football first, but football without community involvement probably won't fly. Uh, but it's football first. So it's safe to say that Bill Belichick will not be the head coach for the other ones. <laughs> It's safe to say that Bill Belichick will not be the head coach of the other one. Okay. Mike, I didn't Mike, see that coming, Mike, Cliff. Mike, no, 
Mike Tomlin could, but you know, I think he's busy right now. <laughs> I, I know a certain co-host that would be very interested to see Mike Tomlin as uh, head coach of the Alouettes. That would be very interesting. Oh, uh, that would be very interesting to see. Everybody knows I'm a, I'm a, when it comes to the NFL, I'm a, I'm a Steelers fan. So I, oh, I'm much like Mario, you're, you're, even, you're even higher in my book now. You and I need to talk. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, well, he's such, I mean, talk about stability and talk about, you know, I think it's, he's up to 17 or years now, I think, yeah. or, uh, of, uh, of uh, winning seasons, or, or I should say not the seasons, because yeah. there's a couple of 500s in there. Just unbelievable. Exactly. The level of competition there is. Yeah. Um, let's, Cliff, if you don't mind, let's, let's go forward and let's mm-hmm. a bit, look a little bit to, to 2023, Mario. And uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I, I'm sure you've already been asked about this many a time, but it is a story that reared its head early in the season. And it was actually brought up again during the, um, it was brought up again uh, during the year end press conference that you guys had. Uh, this this yeah. ru- this talk or rumor or this uh, of about giving Alouette fans a full size field at Percival Molson Stadium. Now, obviously, there are a lot of variables in order to, to get this thing done. Is there any truth to uh, to the, are the Owls actually looking at the possibility of expanding the size to a full regulation CFL field? Just to be careful, the listeners, you're talking about the end zone. That is That's correct, the, sir. That is the correct. The rest of the field is regular. Yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely, there is. Um, and you will remember, uh, Tim and Cliff, uh, you will remember, we're up 3 nothing against Winnipeg. Gino catches the ball, uh, falls out of bound in the, in the corner where the angle is. In eight stadiums out of nine, that's a touchdown. And we go up 10 nothing. Instead, uh, we're out of bounds, and then we obviously just did a field goal. So uh, that did it for me because I was actually upset that I that I went through 2021 without thinking about it, uh, without realizing it, because nobody really brought it up, and the guys adjust. But it's it, yeah, we need to get to regular hand zones. Uh, I don't know if we will. I want to be clear. Uh, we're talking to Miguel, obviously, uh, as we speak, actually, we have a meeting set up. I don't think it's late December or early January. It's one of the two. Uh, but literally, that game was on a Saturday, I believe, on, on a Thursday against uh, Winnipeg. And the Monday, I was running the field with a measuring tape with a gentleman from the athletics department of Miguel. And we were sort of doing the angles and it actually cut. If you know Miguel, for the people who don't, there's a, like a, a racing track, a, uh, how do you say, like a jogging track mm-hmm. yep. around mm-hmm. the field. So obviously we need to cut into that track, but it's not used for competition, I'm told. Um, so these are all the discussions we need to look at. Obviously, we would also need to have some form of cushion on the barriers because they'd be obviously closer uh, so you want to protect your players, obviously that's priority number one. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so, but it's, it's not, it's not a rumor, uh, Tim, not at all. It's on the agenda and, um, I'll do my best to convince people, uh, convince Miguel that to make it work. Like uh, we need to find a way now, maybe we won't, maybe it's impossible. I don't know. Maybe they'll tell me we can't do it. That's, and then we'll just go on the way we are, mm-hmm. but definitely not without a battle. Yeah. And I mean that in a, Obviously, a figurative way. Right, right, and and for those who don't know, you know, since since the Alouettes have been back into Montreal since '96, there's been a, they have changed the field twice. And the last time that they put a brand new field in was ten years ago. 
So, hey, Mario, we're about at that time. I think it's been every 10 years they made modifications to the field. So, you know, uh, fingers crossed that we can uh, actually get those full-size end zones. Well, that's part of the conversation right now also in terms of the field is aging. Obviously, they gained one year. They gained one year with with, uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so, uh, but yeah, so that's going to be part. I mean, I don't think there's many years left in that field. Uh, before it gets a little bit more uh, not dangerous, but not as safe right. for the for the players. Right. So you know, but we're trying to do it before that. Cool. Now, if they change it, then makes it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. But we have to find a way. We have to find a way. Yep. Um, do you have any insight on when? Uh, what what the team? You mentioned it before. Which do you, can you give us any ideas on which way the team is leaning towards the days that home games will be held on in 2023? Uh, what I can tell you it's the schedule has not been approved it's actually we were in a meeting today about it so we're still discussing it and when we do a schedule we usually have multiple versions because every team first of all you have to know i think i've told you this maybe on the field once or twice no team is happy about this their schedule right yep. no team yep. that's right that that's where it starts so you have the level of what can you live with um and with a with a and uh, an odd number of teams, it's even more complicated. So, but right now, I think I think we may like uh, we may for the first time in a very long time um, uh, look at not too many Thursdays. Um, uh, part of one thing that's in the mix is uh, different days of the week. Maybe looking at Sundays before NFL starts. Um, so those are the things that are looked at. Um, uh, but right now we are, we are there. We are pushing in our case for, um, in Montreal, probably a little, little bit less Thursdays, more Friday, Saturdays, um, um, and as many afternoon games as we can have. So, so that's, that's where we are that's fantastic. at this point. I'm ha- and uh, hopefully we can announce it, uh, you know, I think the league has a goal to announce it before before uh, Christmas for sure. Well, if, if that's the case, Mario, I will be very happy because you know, I've said, I've said it many a time that since the Owls returned in '96, they are the team. They are the team in the CFL that has had the most Thursday home games. So it's than any other team. So it's I'm glad to hear some modifications. Yeah. And I guess it's a matter of just how things are changing in the league and people. What you know, thir- how Thursday games are. Fig- you know, because TSN obviously made their. You know, they've made a push for Thursdays, and I know it did well. But yeah. it, you it has to be. A, you got to change with the times, right? So. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Thursdays were once were very good in Montreal. Yeah. When, when downtown was full and was different, it 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 turned a little bit over the past two two years. And again, I'm not making an announcement tonight, Tim. Don't oh no, be no upset I know we have a couple of Thursdays, but uh, but that's <laughs> that's what we that's the way we want to look at it. That's the way we want to push on it. So My, we'll see where we land because everybody it, it's a lot of stadium availability is also guide yeah. the schedules in, in in other markets. You know, it's always the same thing. Yeah. So My fing- same thing. My, fing- My fingers are still Challenging. crossed, Mario. They're still crossed. So I'm hoping. Yeah. There you go, <laughs> Cliff. <laughs> Oh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, what you saw this year on the field. Uh, obviously, when this season started, it was Vernon Adams at quarterback. When the season ended, it was Trevor Harris at quarterback, even though Harris was in camp from day one as well. Talk about the progression that you've been able to see from your per- perspective of this team from when it started to where it ultimately ended. Well, you talk about Trevor, I think. 
um, a great leader of men, a tremendous leader, calm. He brought some stability. He brought some assurance. Um, he played extremely well. Um, even when Vernon was uh, still with us, I was talking to him, practices, sidelines. He says, I, I fully understand you guys not taking uh, Trevor out. He's, he's doing great. So I think as a team from there, uh, we sort of grew into into believing, and it's going to sound cliche, but believing that the outcome of a game uh, can always go on our side. I think we literally grew in terms of learning to win those close games, learning to come back and not getting, uh, not getting defeated or, you know, uh, we lost a couple of games and we had some leads and we just did, it, you know, the first one, uh, the one against Edmonton, uh, where we led big time and uh, we just let it slip, you know. Um, we had to learn to cope with injuries. I think we did that well also. The next man up type of philosophy, uh, as we were never distraught uh, by losing a player, uh, even though it was unfortunate. But So we, we I think, grew a lot, uh, gained in maturity as the year went on and obviously resulted in, in, uh, in a place where we're always highly competitive, never given up. And uh, li- truly, uh, like, you know, shocked when we lost because we always thought that we were going to win that game. You obviously know that you won't be perfect, but every game you start with your game plan, you know you have a game plan, you can win the game. And we were able to uh, present that. And, you know, sometimes you lose very tight ones. Um, but uh, we were in the game, as I said, aside from one game, I think we were in all of them until the end. So, uh, you know satisfied with the way we grew and met all challenges. And what about the in-game experience at Percival Molson Stadium? That too had its challenges and took a little while to get going. But once, by the time we got to the Eastern semifinal, I mean, I think this city was at a fever pitch when it came to football. Like You found a way to win back the city of Montreal and get people behind the Alouettes again. Well, that's nice of you to, to mention that. I think, I think, in all the sporting events you guys go to, I go to, it's um, the experience at Percival Molson as it's, uh, it's, it's right up there. I mean, you feel you're on top of the players, right? You feel so close to the game. Uh, when those horns get going and when the crowd gets in it. And I mean, just, just in the semifinals, just like, I think, I think Hamilton had three procedure calls. Um, Evans even went up, up, his arm went up at one point because he just, you know, sort of gave up against the crowd. It was nice to see that. And it gets the players so worked up. I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. But, you know, and when the people open their cell phones and we, we got all of that this year, it was, it was just an unbelievable experience. And I just wish more people now would, you know, come and see and believe it and see it. And, and we need, we need to do a better job probably to demonstrate it and show it on our, we do our best on our social media, but these are the things that TV doesn't always catch or they don't want to show because they're focused on the game. But, but man, is it ever a very, very solid experience. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I've said numerous times, and I've been to just about every stadium in the Canadian Football League, and I will say it, like, it's, call me biased if you want, but I mean, I think as far as the actual in-game experience and just the the crowd, when you get them excited, when you give them something to cheer for, you're not going to find much better than what you do over at Percival Molson. No, that's for sure. Montreal is known to support winners, and that's what we're trying to be. Yeah. 
And obviously, looking into 2023, I'm sure you guys are already hard, you know, working hard on, on you know, getting together, you know, which, uh, what you guys will do per game when it comes to what you'll offer as far as uh, fan experiences. I'm sure you're working on fan, hopefully, if, if, if it works well, fan trips, uh, if, if the trains or the buses are available in 2023. But uh, yeah. Um, I can only imagine what you guys are, are going to be offering the fans uh, next season. Well, listen, we have to outdo ourselves. Uh, this year was brand new, as I guess was a field experience before the game that was um, maybe not new of all times, but certainly renewed. Uh, the Sanka set were some fun stuff where we had some Q&As in the end with specific players. It was fun. Uh, we have a meeting on that tomorrow, actually. You know, tomorrow at 2, we have a meeting on team games for next year. So we're already on it. And yes, uh, I'm glad you mentioned fan trains and fan planes because fan trains, the, the issue was with uh, not blaming them, but the issue was with uh, VRI when we wanted uh, to uh, do it. It was just lack of what, what they call a ghost train and they need more staff. And they just didn't have the staff like you keep hearing in a lot of places right now. So that's why we couldn't organize at the last minute. But we'll try to see next year. Obviously, we were ready to have a plane for the Great Cup. We would have had a Great Cup uh, plane to take some fans. Um, to uh, we, we had a package all set up to take some fans to uh, Regina this year. Um, so that would have been fun, but did not materialize. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we have to keep growing. We have to keep that experience in that romantic, what I like to call a romantic stadium of ours, which is a Wrigley field of the of the, of the CFL, if you will, but it's really old. It's 1914, but it's, it is what mm-hmm. it is. And we have to maximize that experience. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, Mario, again, uh, third year in a row, we really appreciate your time. We want Cliff and I want to congratulate you and your organization, uh, you know, everybody behind the scenes who did uh, one hell of a job this year. Um, we can only, as I said, we can only, uh, you know, guess what we're going to be offered next year as fans over at Personal Molson Stadium. But again, we appreciate your time. We hope that we get to do this for the fourth straight year next year. So um, our fingers are crossed. Our thing, fingers are, are crossed on that. And okay, if last thing for you, if somebody is on the fence, Mario, and they're saying, I don't know if I should buy season tickets for the Montreal Alouettes, what would you say to convince them to purchase one of the multitude of offerings? that the team currently has? Well, I think, I think you just said it. First of all, there is a price for everybody, uh, literally. And uh, I think we just said it also. At, at, at starting at 27 bucks, I think it's probably the best show in town. Uh, the most fun where you, you can be close. You can be close to the actors. If you're lucky, your name will be brought up and you can be on the field after the, the game. I mean, all of these things are absolutely great. And it's really... It's, it's not too demanding uh, in the new world that we are in. It's not the commitment like uh, other sports where it's 42 games or, you know, 18, 20 games. It's 10 nights and uh, it's 10 parties as far as I'm concerned. So uh, it's something that when you live once, you usually want to come back. Uh, so that's what I would tell them. Perfect. That's what I would tell them. Well, again, Mario, all the best to you. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Happy holidays. And uh, we hope to talk to you very, very shortly. Thank you very much. Happy holidays to you guys and all of your listeners. Take, take good care. Doesn't disappoint. Mario does not disappoint. Thanks to Mario once again for joining us to talk about the, the Alouettes in 2022 and to give us a sneak peek. He always, he's always able to come through with a little, a little few tidbits about what's coming up with the team. Mm-hmm. And 
we are so lucky, Tim, to be able to say that we can speak with the president of the Montreal Alouettes, to be able to to be able to speak with someone so high up in the organization and get his thoughts on things, and just sort of you know he he'll pull back the curtain just a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of explain things and let us know what we've come to expect over the years and. Always look forward to this. I mean, the end of the season is kind of a downer because, I mean, means no football now until June. But being able to speak with Mario and get some insight as to what and just it it keeps it going. It keeps the fire going just a little bit. And, you know, like I'm already looking forward to 2023 without question. And I mean, as long as Mario is a part of this organization, you know, Things are going to be moving up and continue to keep keep climbing, keep reaching for that next level, and to be a part of something like that is 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 truly tremendous. Yep, I I, I totally agree. Um, it's it's been a year, dude. Uh, not you know, broad not only broadcast wise for us, but uh, for the team itself. I mean, so many different things that happened this this past season, from you know, from our training camp experience to uh, which was fun, by the way, and. Wherever training camp is going to be, we're going to try to set something up again, obviously, for next year because uh, our three-day experience was just a jo- an utter joy. Um, you know, from the CBA failing to the CBA <laughs> to the CBA getting re- you know signed to, you know, two quarters. It was a roller coaster ride. Oh, and that was just preseason. That was just preseason <laughs> itself, dude. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, like you go back to – Everything. I mean, like the the fact that training camp got delayed, uh, the first day of camp didn't happen the way it was supposed to. Uh, holy cow! I mean, so much, so many questions were, you know, so many, so many things were up in the air, and we just didn't know what what the hell to make of any of it. But then when when the dust settled and everything got worked out, and they started camp again, and we were able to go for the you know for three days and experience everything. You're right. It was it was so much fun. It was a great experience. I think we we got to see a lot of stuff. We got to talk to a lot of the guys and just get their perspectives on things. And you know, it just it made for some great podcasting too because mm-hmm. we were able to share that the, these experiences with our, you, the listeners, and yep. we were so thankful to be able to do so. Yep. And one of the best just, listened to episodes of the year, by the way. So it's, there you go. Yeah. Like I said, I think a lot of people, you know, just assume training camp is okay, whatever. They just come and they, you know, do football stuff. And yeah, for the most part, that's what it is. But there was lots of other stuff too. And there's lots of other things to experience as well. And I, I think we did a pretty good job, you know, hopefully selling the idea of going to training camp. If you've never been to training camp, folks, I mean, I, I can't stress enough. I mean, that is, as far as I'm concerned, the prime time as a football fan to go and truly experience it and get to meet the players and get to learn how this team gets put together, how you go from, was it uh, 75 players down to 46 or, or is it, yeah, 46 players. I mean, it, it, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, it's, it's such a great experience. Yep. And, and seeing the stars I, I, come out, the, the stars invent themselves, the star future stars. It, it was just, you know, seeing, you know, Tyson, Tyson, Phil Potts starting out, he didn't start off very well because he was, he had, you know, he had a, a pre-injury uh, coming into camp. Uh, same thing with Jake Winnegy. Um, you know, stand back, you know, he was still, he was, he was hurting before he got hurt. Um, mm. it, it was just interesting, interesting to see how, how camp started, how things progressed over the years, you know, and from, you know, seeing the new, the new stars, the potential new stars that we got, you know, Cole Speaker, you know, Davis Alexander, it's, camp's fun. And if anybody has a chance, whether it be in, in Trois-Rivières, whether it be in Quebec City, wherever it's going to be, you know, as, as Mario alluded to in the interview, 
try to try to come up there. Try to make a uh, make a weekend of it if you can, because it, you won't you you won't regret it. Yeah, I mean, if you love football, I mean, I truly love football. You'll you'll appreciate every aspect of it. There's as we keep saying, there's just so much to experience, so much stuff that you wouldn't normally necessarily think about. But once you see it happening in front of you, you're like, holy cow, this is incredible. Uh, the fact that you, you were talking about like the future of this team. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like I, I even go back to the draft when the Alouette selected Phil Pot. Like I I was shocked. I'm like, really? I mean, as as we talked about, like the national receiver position was kind of like the redheaded stepchild for the Alouettes. Yep. Like just yep. no love whatsoever. But then signing Herji Maella in, uh, in in free agency, the emergence of Kion Julian Grant, and now with Tyson Philpot being a part of this, like okay, uh, all of a sudden national receiver means something in Montreal. And sure enough, this season you saw the emergence of Kion Julian Grant and of Tyson Philpot becoming major parts of this offense. No, I, I agree. And and then obviously leading into into week one, uh, where it seemed that which has happened before in Alouette's history. But, you know, week one was just a, an utter disaster when it came to losing huge names um, on this team from, you know, from Greg Reed, one of the major players on defense and obviously William Stanbeck. We lost quite a few players in week one, and it, it really did not look good for the Owls or for head coach Kahari Jones. No, and that was it. And you all also heard too a lot of the the rumors swirling about about uh, the safety of Kahari's job as head coach of the Alouettes. Even though like, it was him that helped bring this team back to relevance and did a tremendous job in making the Alouettes a competitive football team, a lot of people were saying like, "Well, Kahari's on the hot seat if he doesn't get out to a, a big start and uh, you know provide instant success. Uh, he could be shown the door because there's a guy in the general manager's chair that I think wants to be a coach again and." You know, it was like that noise just got louder and louder every week. And the fact that the Alouettes kind of stumbled out of the gate just didn't do them any favors. And yeah, it with each loss, the, the noise got louder and louder and louder. And not even winning the, the home opener against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders could save Kahari, essentially. I think it bought him a little more time, but ultimately... Like I said, you're only as good as your last game, and that game out in Saskatchewan, where the Rough Riders, who had a a season to forget, quite frankly, one of their highlights had to be the absolute throttling of the Alouettes yeah. out there, and that pretty much meant, uh, yeah, that the writing was pretty much on the wall at that point for Kahari and uh, also for Baron Miles too, defensive coordinator. To uh, you know, they end up being shown the door. Yep, and and obviously the the change in quarterback, which occurred, um, which occurred uh, when VA was pulled uh, in the second quarter after just going two for four, um, that was the you know that is where you know a gentleman that we are always going to love, we're always going to be proud of, no matter where he's playing. You know, uh, VA took a step, had to had to take a step back. He was now going to be the number two um, behind Trevor Harris, and Trevor Harris became our starting quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes. So, yeah, and uh, I said we had our concerns when it came to Trevor Harris. I mean, he came in in 2020. They traded for the Alouettes traded for him in 2021, and honestly, did not play like the Trevor Harris that we were promised. And I know that would that that definitely left a bit of a bad taste in our mouths. And then when the Alouettes re-signed him for pennies on the dollar apparently uh you know we were sold on the idea that hey we're getting a top-notch quarterback at a bargain rate like 
okay, but did you not see what happened towards the tail end of 2021? Because uh, I wouldn't have broken any bank to sign this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if if you're giving us the Trevor Harris of 2019 that absolutely shredded the Alouettes in the Eastern Final, okay, I'm on board. But I had there was no indication that Trevor Harris was around. But lo and behold, he showed up to camp. He was doing all the right things as far as okay, I, I know this is Vernon's team. That uh, you know, I'm I'm here to help. I'm here to be a part. If my number gets called, I'll be ready to go. And sure enough, when uh, when things got tough with uh, VA, in came Trevor and. Didn't click right away. I'll, I'll be honest. It, it did take some time for him to find his find his footing. Uh, but once he got settled in, and once he got established a rapport with the receivers, and got to be a part of this, I mean, like he he turned things around. He he, he really helped this team out. I mean, there was when he was bad, he was really bad. But I, I'm sure you can say that about just about any quarterback. When yeah. they're good, they're fantastic. When they're bad, they are bad. And we saw a lot of bad and a lot of good from Trevor Harris this year. I, I definitely have to give him his flowers uh, because it, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And towards the end of the season, the, Trevor Harris got it together. He got he he found his groove. He found that winning formula. And it wasn't pretty at times. I can tell you, like so many times in the first half, the, the offense just looked like a dog's breakfast. I mean, yeah, it was just yeah. not good at all. I mean, it was very conservative, very plain. Like he, like it, there were times where I truly felt Trevor was just padding his stats more than anything else. Like he was dinking and dunking his way down and just doing the little things. And now I've come to realize that sometimes it's in doing the little things where big things happen. Because in the second half, Tim, so many times. All of a sudden, this offense just figured it out and just started piling on the points. Like they started making those outstanding plays. I mean, being able to throw to Geno Lewis certainly helps the cause. And finding you know uh, a, a great running back like Walter Fletcher, who after Standback went down, the Alouettes traded for. And what a move! Because I mean, Walter Fletcher, who also too went to the same uh, university as uh, as Trevor Harris. Yep. He found his form, too, and looked absolutely outstanding. He played some fantastic football. And to, to kind of get that nod, if you will, from from Trevor Harris, I mean, that I think that was all he needed. And all of a sudden, boom, now we've got a great running back. Even though we, William Sandback is on, is on the mend, it's okay. We got this. We got Joshua Nantui. We got Walter Fletcher. We're going to be good. And, you know, once, once this offense figured itself out, yeah, it took a little while at times because – as I said, the first half, I think, was just more of a feeling out process to see what the opponent would do. And then once they, it was almost like, like I said, back in 2019, like the way they flipped the switch. And all of a sudden, Vernon Adams just figured it out and just started scoring points. Well, Trevor Harris more or less did the same thing. He figured it out and started scoring points like this. And then this this team just started winning and yep. winning and winning. Yep. And ugly, ugly wins at times. I'm not going to lie, but I mean. They got it figured out, and sure enough, they went from being a two and six football team, ending up finishing nine and nine. I mean, essentially going tw- was it what was it twelve and four? Like the, their last sixteen games, or, or something silly like that. I, I forget I forget what Mar- how Mario phrased it, but I, I mean, yeah, it, this team all of a sudden became a contender, and you got to thinking this team could do it. We can go to the playoffs. We could go to the Grey Cup, and we could probably win the damn thing. That's what this team did more than anything else was give Alouette's fans hope that this that, that there was something here, that there was something tangible. I mean, the, it truly was a case of it's not how you start but how you finish because yeah. if you take a look at how things were back in July compared to how they were in October, November, night and yeah. day, you wouldn't even recognize this team. Oh, for, for, for sure. so many reasons. Yeah, yeah, and, and obviously that one of the low points was blowing that 19-point lead to Edmonton. 
in a game that they should not have lost. And that was, that was actually too the first game with uh, Danny Machocha as head coach and Noel Thorpe as defensive coordinator. And man, fans were not impressed at the way that they just squandered that lead. And uh, also too, you couldn't help but notice that so many penalties because that was the big thing with uh, Kahari and Barron was lack of discipline on this team. And, you know, you got to get the discipline back. And sure enough, posting up all those penalties, I mean, that's still not a good look, especially when that's the reason why you're letting these guys go mm-hmm. is due to a quote unquote lack of discipline. And then your team does that. I mean, it's just, I mean, that it's, as I said, not a good look at all for, no. for, for, Dan, for Danny Mac or for Noel Thorpe in that case. No, but well, this, this was part of the growing pains. This was part of figuring it out. And yeah, it, it, it took some time. It definitely took some time for the, this team to find their, find their way, find themselves just a little bit. And to a man, every time we talk to the players afterwards, even after these losses, like they said, this locker room is solid. They, they, we've got each other's backs. So we believe in each other. That was the, the one thing that took I took away more than anything else is that win or lose. And for that first part of the year, there was definitely a lot of lose. There was no quit. Like there was no okay. This season's a wash. This season is is nothing. Like we 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 don't have a prayer. No, they they believed in themselves. They believed in Trevor Harris as their leader. They believed in their their offense. They believed in their defense as well. Which after they after a while found their form as well. I mean, it was it, that's really what it came down to is just this team finding itself at the right time. No, I, I agree. I mean, and this, and uh, you know, more than that. I mean, as you said, it, it all started with the 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 nineteen point lead, uh, the nineteen blown nineteen point lead to, to Edmonton. I mean, from there, dude, it's some wild and crazy stuff here for the Alouettes this year. I mean, we had a fifty-one day homestand, a fifty-one day homestand. I'll say it one more time: a fifty-one day homestand, longest in Alouettes history, and it and. If my if my information is great, it's the longest homestand in CFL history. You know, I mean, which is absolutely nuts. And then on top of that, when we come off playing on the road for the first time in 51 days, we get a game which didn't seem to be going all that well versus Edmonton. We don't play that well in Edmonton all, all that well. But then Tyrese Beverett. Tyrese Beverett and that 100-yard interception return for a touchdown. You know, and it kept us going. It kept think, us going. I, I, think, I think he's still catching his breath from that run. <laughs> you know, my man was motoring down the field. <laughs> like, unbelievable. A little bit, little bit of a downer with Thanksgiving losing again at Thanksgiving at home. Um, losing Reggie White for the season. But that really introduced us to Tyson Philpott and what he could do. Because we had three Canadian receivers starting. What? Mm-hmm. You know? Stamick was going to come back. We're going to have a three hit potential three headed monster at running back. You know, Dom Davis uh, not only tied but broke the team record for most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in a single season. You know, breaking the record that was held by uh, by VA said back in 2019. Um, and even the wacky, I think the first time ever that the Alouettes have lost a game on a walk off rouge. <sighs> Yeah. And you know what, Tim? I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that is, I, I think, it has to haunt Alouette's fans, that particular instance, that particular game, and that particular play where the, yeah, Boris Bede miss, misses a field goal that would have, that, 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 well, I mean, it would have won the game, but. <laughs> I know how you're trying, I need you're trying to phrase it the right way, right? Well, and here's the thing like, normally if you miss a field goal, the guy, the, the, the returner can take it out of the end zone and you go for overtime. But, 
a missed field goal, if it sails out, like that's still a rouge. You, you try to prevent that. But unfortunately, Chandler White was trying to track the ball, caught it, but then caught it out of bounds, which mm-hmm. is basically conceding the single. Mm-hmm. And I think about this, Tim, and I've been thinking about it for the past couple of weeks, uh, even while I was at Grey Cup thinking about this. Like if somehow the Alouettes were able to win that game, that would change. That could have potentially changed everything. Because what? Because then the Alouettes that that game the next week at BMO Field wouldn't have been a glorified preseason game. It would have actually meant something. And if mm-hmm. the Alouettes could have won that, they would have hosted mm-hmm. the Eastern Final. Mm-hmm. And based on how we went when we went to Toronto, we saw how this team played and how the Argos played at home. It gave them a decided advantage. Imagine if Montreal was hosting the Eastern Final. One could make the argument that. Based on how they were playing, how they played in the Eastern semifinal against Hamilton, who arguably was, you know, comparably just as good as as what Toronto was. Just they had their own set of uh, woes and misfires throughout the season. One couldn't help but wonder, Tim, if the Alouettes were hosting the Eastern final, could they have won in what would have been a rowdy Molson uh, Stadium environment and gone on to the Grey Cup and played the Blue Bombers? I I, th- I know you, William Stanback. We talked about that with him just a little bit, and he thinks yep. about that too. And it's got to stick in his. Cr- I know it does stick in his cross. Gino too. Gino too. He he said it multiple times too. Not necessarily at the locker room sale, but um, yeah, he thinks too that if we had played the East final in Montreal, we would have gone to the Great Cup. Yeah, and just again, that's not to say that we would have automatically won the Great Cup just because the Bombers lost to the Argos, but. I, I mean, we we played this Winnipeg team tough, too. I mean, we definitely would have given them a fight for sure. And again, that's the beautiful thing about Grey Cup is you just just because two teams come in totally different records, totally different environment, you know, what have you. I mean, it's you just never know. But my God, like I'm I'm, I'm just, I can't help but think about that fact that that missed field goal, that rouge, that game winning rouge essentially is what it was for the Argos. Man, mm-hmm. things could like. And 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 it's funny. It's gotten them talking. Supposedly, it's on the agenda. We're, we're, we'll see what happens. We'll see if, if if a game cannot end on a rouge anymore. It'll be interesting. I mean, that, I mean, the fact. And again, how many of our American friends sat and marveled at the fact, like, so a team won their division essentially mm-hmm. on a missed field goal. Mm-hmm. What the actual f? Like, and all all you can do is just shrug your shoulders and say, "Well, that's the Canadian Football League for you." Yeah. I mean, it's. It's so weird, especially to, uh, compounded by the fact that the entire Eastern Division this year really had their trials and tribulations. Just the fact that they somehow managed to end up winning the Grey Cup is baffling beyond comprehension. Yeah, I, I mean the, the we we talked about it earlier in the season too, like uh, like before, like on like preview shows and things like that. We talked about like don't be surprised, folks. Like I, I got a feeling that I had said like don't be surprised if all four teams in the East end up being in the conversation for, for making the playoffs. I, I like, I think that it would be a lot more improved and well, that, that, that missed. <laughs> no, but, but teams were in the conversation up and almost up until the week, you know, the last week of the season. Well, yes. I mean, like as far as competing and for the, the opportunity to go into the gray cup playoffs, absolutely they were. But I mean, Toronto was not spectacular, but they were consistent and ended up pretty much being the only team with a winning record in the East. Uh, Montreal, as as we've well documented, started out very slow, but then got their act together and ended up at, you know, even Steven mm-hmm. record wise. Mm-hmm. But even Hamilton, like all of a sudden, a lot of people like they came on fire in that, that last month of the season. And they looked like they could like once they got their their stuff figured out, 
they looked like they could have been a threat too. Like, I mean, I was actually thinking like, okay, like I, I can see why a lot of people were actually picking Hamilton over Montreal in the Eastern semifinal, mostly because of history, I'm sure. But just the fact that they looked, they really did look like the hottest team in the CFL in that last month of the season. But Montreal, obviously, they knew. They knew that they had something special here and they were not going to, like their first home playoff game in eight years, they were not going to disappoint the fans. They were not going to let the 20,000 plus, 20, plus down. And how about that, Tim? How about the fact that Montreal was able to finally get back to selling, almost selling out football games? Not entirely selling out, but coming damn close to selling out at least an, on an, uh, two or three occasions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that that that's there, there are a lot of takeaways from this season. I mean, what do you fans think? I mean, what 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 was your most favorite moment, fan? Let us know on socials. Um, I it's so hard. I mean, for me, really, Cliff. I mean, if my one takeaway with all the stuff that happened this year, I think really for me, what's going to stand out? It's funny. It's because I never really done something like this. I think it would be our three day excursion to training camp, and I think that's to me that will that will linger the most in my mind, at least until we start getting some making some new memories for twenty twenty three. What about you? What's what's your one thing that you're going to remember the most about the twenty twenty three season? Sorry, 2022 season. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you tell? I want the schedule. To, as soon as the schedule comes out, it's the 2023 season. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's that. That would be a great indication that 2023 is on the way. Is new schedule. So, and we will, as tradition has become now, we should get it before the end of 2022, folks. Uh, for me, my one standout moment. My gosh. Uh, it's so hard. I mean, like, I know there, there's so many moments that you can look back on and say, I can't believe that happened. And yeah, it. I mean, yes, training camp without question was definitely eye opening. I think it allowed us to do stuff that we weren't able to do before. And um, even was even though it wasn't the way we had anticipated or planned or hoped it would go. As you said, we it still ended up being extremely memorable. I mean, that, that without question, definitely a highlight uh, for me. It was just uh, getting to know certain players on a, on a on a level like we haven't had before whether it was through the podcast or just interacting with them post game i mean to me that that was exciting more than, more than anything else was just being able to have that opportunity to get to know these guys and just see their progression week after week after week yeah 10 and by the way 10 10 coaches players people involved with the alawitz were with us this past season 10 where yeah. we we interviewed 10 yeah and again for the first time ever, too, interviewing someone from the ownership group of this franchise. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about constantly how I would have loved to have had, and I, I kind of regret not being able to find a way to get the late, great Bob Wettenhall yeah. on the podcast to talk. Agreed. But having Gary Stern on, and he became, he, he rose to uh, superstardom as well, thanks to his Twitter account, and just saying what was on his mind, good, bad, or other. And, you know, the fact that we were able to get him onto the show and, and talk was definitely a very cool experience. I mean, it's great to have players on, don't get me wrong. Having coaches on leads to a whole different perspective on things. General managers definitely offer insight that you don't necessarily get, but to have like someone as part of the ownership group, like the minor, well, now the minority owner of the of the Montreal Alouettes, I mean, to have him on, and I had a blast talk, talking with him too. Like we, Correct, here, I just got a correction, still the minority owner. Yes, you're right. I mean, nothing's changed in that sense. I, right. Even though... He's not the face. He's not the face. Yeah, exactly. He's definitely still very much a part of the ownership group. Yes. There's, uh, let me, let me cast no aspersions otherwise. Right, exactly. But being able to sit and talk with him and get his perspective on things from an ownership side was something we never had on the podcast before. And 
I thought it was fantastic. I, I, I thought it was so cool that we were able to provide the fans and listeners with, with that perspective. The fact that we were able to do that this year, in addition to all the other stuff, because, yeah. I, I mean, that's the one thing we wanted to, I think one thing I will take away is that I think we have pushed this show to another level, Tim. And I'm so excited. Like, we didn't get, there's a lot of things we didn't get a chance to do this year for any number of reasons. No. To me, that's just a motivating factor to come back next year and just work at that. There's still so many interviews we have to do. There's still oh, so many sure. and, and experiences. Our, and, and our historical interviews, the one with Mark Waitman about the U2 game. Go back and listen to that in our archives. You know, being able to pay it forward thanks to our, our, our sponsors, our presenting sponsors, uh, Sport Buff with the flight crew seats. Exactly. Like so many fans were able to attend an Alouettes game this year. And we can say going forward, 2023 and beyond, your two newest members of the Football Reporters of Canada will be taking it very seriously and we will be improving this show for you, the fans, and we will be doing our damnedest to bring you all the Alouettes news and notes and behind the scenes stuff that we can just as we did for our first seven seasons. Did we ever get an answer from you on what your favorite part was <laughs> before we finish up? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I struggle with this. I, I Choose really one thing, Clifford Pine. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> My favorite thing would have to be... Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> it's so hard. What, what, We're gonna, are we I, really going to end this episode on a cliffhanger? <laughs> no, we're not. it'll be no, no. Cliff will be going. And my most favorite moment of 2022 was. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Yeah, exactly. To the <laughs> Take off to the Great White North. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 We're not, and we're not ending on that note either. So. No, we're not. No. All right. Honestly, truly, I mean, like I said, it sounds cliche, but I think when it when it comes to like favorite moment of the season, I think it truly was just being whatever game we were at, like to be there. After the game and taking in everything, taking in the entire experience, like just not only as supporters of this team, but also too from a media perspective, like to be able to sit and talk with players and get their insight as well after the game. To me, like that's invaluable. And that's mm -hmm. what helped prompt me to want us to become members of the Football Reporters of Canada, because we we, we don't want to be just seen as fans of the Yellowettes. We, we want to be representatives of this team. We want to help bring this team to light. We want to help get people to understand and see where the Alouettes are coming from when they make their moves. We may not understand or appreciate everything that's done. We may not agree with some of the moves that have been made by this organization, but we at least want to try and offer perspective on it. And we want to bring that to you, the listeners, wherever mm -hmm. you're listening, whether mm -hmm. it's here in Montreal or across Canada or even across the world. We, we want you to be coming to us for your Alouette's news, for your thoughts, opinions, analysis, anything like that, we want to be a part of that. We want to take things to the next level. And that is our goal in 2023, is to truly take this podcast to the next level. We want to do bigger things. We want to do better things. We want to bring you guys as much content as possible. We want to, We want you to say, oh yeah, I get my news, I get my thought, I get everything from the Alouette's flight deck. We want Tim and Cliff, we want to hear what their perspective is. We want to know what they think about this move, that move, whatever. Yeah. We want to hear it all from these guys. And yeah. we want to be that for you folks. We want to be that source. We want to be that that place that you come to to get your Alouette's news and your thoughts and what have you. We want to be that for you. And that is my goal. And I think it's your goal too, Tim, is to be that for you, the yep. listeners. Yep. 
I agree. And I think it's the best way to end our 2022 broadcast season. We appreciate every single one of you who listened to us in 2022, our seventh season. We're looking forward to starting our eighth very, very soon within the new year. Everybody here at the Flight Deck wants to wish everybody a safe and happy holidays. We hope to have you come back to us in 2023 to hear about what we have to say about the Alouettes. So for everybody here at the Alouettes Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.